0: But in, in Proverbs, we'll be looking at some verses momentarily, and you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12 if you want to. But let's have a word of prayer before we begin, and then we will start into the message tonight. Our Father, we come before you with thankful hearts for the day, and we thank you for the blessings that we've enjoyed in every aspect of the service this morning. and And Father, we're really excited for the Uh, The witness of the church and the uh, participation of the children and the teens and the songs they sing and the truth that is exhibited, Father, by the uh, ministry of the church here to each and every one and for the joy that is in the hearts of uh, this people, we thank you for that. And we pray, Father, tonight that you would help us to share the message that we feel like that you would have us do tonight and may it uh, may it touch hearts and may it the reality of this truth from the word of God would be seen tonight and we'll thank you for that and praise you for what you're going to do and if there's one here that knows you not in the free pardon of sin it's never been saved by your marvelous grace may the Holy Spirit of God be able to touch their lives in such a way that they would desire more than anything else To repent of their sins and call upon you for salvation. So bless now for we pray in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. In the book of Proverbs we'll not turn there but Proverbs 29 says where there is no vision the people perish. And of course with the message that I have tonight that Brother Russell would like for me to try to preach and which I feel it is very appropriate it's it's a, steward miss, a stewardship message and it deals with three words and I think these three words are very vital for a local New Testament church from the scriptures and uh, we'll look at those three words as we move along more in uh, just in a few minutes but the church I pastored in Sherman for 20 years celebrated their 90th anniversary just this last year and um then, earlier in the uh, uh, year ago, or about a year ago, I, pa- I preached the anniversary service for our church in Denton called Central Baptist Church, and they celebrated their 90th anniversary. Last August, I was in uh, Paris, Texas, where I had pastored years before, and uh, I was there for two Sundays straight in a row because all month we celebrated the 100th year of the church there. In, Paris, Texas. I then was uh, in Bowie, Texas, on Easter Sunday, and we celebrated the church there. I'd been there for seven and a half years, and we celebrated the seventy-third year of that church that was started by Brother Walls. And and when we begin to think about these things and realize uh, the reality that God has a vision for churches, that's what He wanted he wanted them established and started. And then we begin to think about that, but with each one of these churches, and this is what I want you to get, with each one of these churches, there had to be something that brought it about. And we go back to basically the church in Sherman, Texas. In 1929, uh, there was a, a riot in Sherman, Texas, and the courthouse was burnt down on the courthouse square and it was a riot there and there was a lot of problems and things of this nature and and then in 1930 John R. Rice uh, out of Decatur, Texas was uh, went into evangelism and he was in Waxahachie, Texas uh, doing a revival meeting an old-time tent meeting and uh, the story came up again about the tragedy that had happened in Paris, Texas, and he said this, he said any, any town like that needs a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church. So he made all the arrangements with the city that he could go there and set up a tent on the grounds where the, the courthouse had been burned and started a revival. That revival started because John R. Rice had something in him that moved him to do what he had been taught to do and trained to do. And what he knew what God wanted him to do because of that which was instilled within his heart and what he was called to do. He was in revival there on the courthouse square somewhere between 90 and 102 days. Two hundred and fifty-six people were saved. They baptized them in the horse trough there on the courthouse square. And a few blocks away, they bought a piece of land and started building what we used to call uh, old mule barns. And basically what that was, that was just a long shotgun building. It had a few windows on the side, but didn't have windows. It just had wood wood, wood, wood flaps that opened and closed. And that was what they were gonna use for a church and they would put sawdust in the floor. And right in the middle of the church, they would take an old what we call pot-bellied wood stove and put it right in the middle of the church. And so as that all the kids and all the children that were small enough uh, when they would get tired because the preaching would go on for a while. You know, preaching used to go an hour all the time, you know, sometimes it'd go three hours. But nonetheless, anyhow, yeah, and, right and right around that old pot bedded wood stove when it was cold in the winter, well, they would put pallets on the ground so that they would, the moms could sit there with their kids and they would be close to the fire. If you was an adult or a teenager, you just suffered. But it was okay because you was there because something was working in your heart and you wanted to be in the house of God. That's like y'all coming back tonight after enduring this morning. You want something from God, and we hope you'll get it. Amen? Amen. And, uh, but nonetheless, and, and you know, uh, so that's how, that's how uh, Grace and Bible Baptist Church came into existence. They named it the Fundamental Baptist Church, and, and it went on. And what it did then is it began to do the same thing that John R. Rice had, had done to him. They began to preach the gospel. And that gospel began to move in the hearts of individuals in the church. And, and it began to do the same thing again. And the, and the old church in Denton, Texas, uh, cent, uh, the old Central Baptist Church there, it started out the same way. There was two men. There was two men that came, and, and there they were, Charles Davidson and Paul Sizemore, who had been saved and reached by the old First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, where John R. Fra- R. um uh, uh, no, J. Frank Norris was pastor. And, uh, and, and they, they learned the same way, same thing John R. Rice did. That the thing that you do is once you get saved and God begins to work in your heart and your life and you begin to get the gospel deep in your soul and you begin to be uh, deeply taught and, and you know one thing that you've got to do and that you've got to share the gospel with someone else. You, you have exhibited that you're doing that tonight. That word is called legacy. It's not something that you inherit, but it's something that you get, a legacy that comes into you that is there because it's, it's something that you've been taught of character, of, of belief, and faith, and it's something that you carry on and keep on carrying on and keep on carrying on. And so it wasn't long then as they moved there and they, they went down to the old um, trade ground there in Denton, Texas, where there was an old mule barn and they got in that mule barn and they started a church. And then, you know, I can go on and on with each one of these churches the same way. It happened because there was somebody, somebody down the way had been saved and they had been taught And they had been burdened and they had had taken that which was there and it became in their heart. And they wanted to do what God wanted them to do, just like this brother right here. And and that is is the very thing. When we begin to think about legacy and we understand it, we realize that this is the first thing that we've got to understand. This is the first thing that Metro Baptist Church has got to do, and you're doing that. You see the children; they came up here. You were teaching teaching them to sing the songs. It, it basically—I don't know if you caught the message or not—but uh, you know that was a, that was the cry that uh, Samuel said, and he was a, pray, a faith, a faith-promised child. And then, when you begin to think about those things, and that's an instillment in their hearts. And I, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Here am I, Lord. What do you want me to do? Amen. And that's the very cry of what I've been trying to say all week is, what do you want me to do, God? I'm yours. You bought me and paid for me, and so I want to know. Notice, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 12, I told you to go there, and, and uh, of course, you know me. I just wander along and see what God's going to do. But in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to notice, it's, a, it's just a simple thing that the Bible has for us, But he wants us to understand after he goes through the whole honor roll of faith in chapter 12, and then he says this Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run the race, or let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, basically what he's wanting us to see now, this is, a, this is a, an Olympic thing where that we're talking about running a race and right on down the line, if we went back to Corinthians and other places, we would, we would find that the Lord says we have to run it right. At race, we've got to run it right. And when we look at when we look at what God's wanting to do, and we think about it in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, you know, He wants us to understand that the one thing that He wants us to do more than anything else is go ye into all the world. Go ye into all the world, he said, and he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore into all, and, and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded ye. And, and so that's exactly what the process is. There's these three words, legacy, inheritance, and stewardship. And when we're now, we're talking about that which is instilled within us, just as it was for Brother Russell and Miss Lisa. They were there. Uh, she was raised in Texas. He was raised in Canada. Uh, but uh, he was here at a church, and, and the preacher began to preach to him, and he got saved. And the next thing you know, he began to be taught that the one thing that he's supposed to do is share the gospel with other people. And the longer he went and the longer she went, she was in a preacher's home, but it didn't make any difference. I was raised and wasn't raised in a preacher's home. But when, when the preaching starts and you get saved and it begins to begin to be absorbed in your heart and soul, then that, that's when the legacy begins. And that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is for this legacy so as that in every service, in everything that we do, in every place we go, that we are instilling that in the hearts and the lives of those we come to know for what purpose. That's what God told us to do when He came and when He left. He said, this is what you'd want to do. Remember the word, the verse I just read to you in heavens and earth? He said, and I've given you power and you just baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then He said, teach them discipleship there's got to be the discipleship in most places we've lost sight of discipleship but that's exactly what the Lord did and that's how that they were able to reach the whole world according to Colossians 1 23 it said they had preached the gospel to every creature upon the earth at that time now we're a long way from doing that today but the thing is this, what we're looking at is that legacy that is so vital. Each one of these churches, just like it is with Metro Baptist Church, just like it is with our brother's church here, somebody was willing to go with that, that legacy that had been put within them, that preaching of the gospel, that listening and, and, and seeing their faith grow and understand that this is the mission of God. And this is the only way that it'll ever get done is if we carry that legacy on, not some inheritance of other things, but that gospel that goes into the hearts and the souls of men so that we can share it with others and they can come to know Jesus and get excited about him. If I was here very long, I'd teach y'all how to say amen. amen. You know, the thing that we find, though, as members of Metro Baptist Church, you know, you've got a great legacy already. It was brought here. And it's been, it's been being transferred on one person at a time. I watch Brother uh, Tyler as he, as he leads the music and he d- does the ministry that he's uh, in charge of here and everything. You can see that he's got that within him. I, I see the I see the people here, and and I see the uh, the couple that sang. I wish I knew everybody's name and could rem- remember them. I can't remember the the names and anything, but I can re- I can feel the heart. I can see the as he began to sing. Like Brother Russell said, when he began to sing in his own language, it's it's wonderful, and that's the same way it is with me. I can't do worth a flip in English, but I do good in Texas. <laughs> You know, I, that's just the way it is. That's what was put in me as a kid growing up. I don't know anything else. I just know that Texas slang. We were at the restaurant restaurant yesterday and, and we were talking to the lady that was waiting on our table and we were talking with her. And she said, well, I could tell you had a little twing, but I didn't know exactly what a twing meant. They usually tell us we just slur our words because we're real slow. But I think we speak fast. But that legacy, that legacy that's in you, you know, there's a a certain thing for every country that we're in. It's common with us because that was automatic. That was our family and everything else. And that's the way it's got to be with the gospel. And with that, we understand it because that legacy is the thing that is going to make Metro Baptist Church carry on the gospel and send the missionaries that you're sending, helping them and working with them. His brother wasn't going out and trying to raise money, but Metro Baptist Church decided he needed some help, and he did. He did. He probably needed a whole lot more help than he thought he did. (laughs) Now, you're taking it wrong. I was talking about more money because it's always nice for the preacher's wife to get a new pair of shoes. You say, preacher, what are you saying? You know, when we begin to think about the legacy legacy, that is the thing that motivates us to be what God wants us to be. That's that that's within us that we can't get away from. You know, people were saved and and that legacy had been passed on at Ramser Baptist Church and then at Central Baptist Church in Denton and at Bible Baptist Church in Bowie and at Heritage Baptist Church and Haslett and Grace and Bible Baptist Church and Sherman. And I could go on and on and on and name churches after church, after church, after church. Why? Because somebody, somebody that the legacy that was placed within them, that faith, that belief, that that love for God, that they wanted somebody else to have the joy that they had. The joy, as Jeremiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I I love the scriptures dealing with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that tomorrow night, I think. Is that right, Brother Russell? Yeah. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night. Boy, what a great joy. Isn't Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that when you got saved that God took up his abode in you? Isn't it wonderful that, you know, when things are tough and it seemed like that the world's coming to an end, that he's there to comfort you and said, that's okay, I can take care of you. I can take care of you. That, that's those things that we learn from the scriptures, you know, and and, and allowing those things to happen, happen in our lives. And, and without, you know, without these individuals coming, just think tonight, if Brother... Russell and Miss Lisa hadn't felt like God wanted them to come to Canada as missionaries, we wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Some of you might not be saved. Some of you may be the... The Lord only knows where you might be tonight. Had it not been that they had this legacy that was in them, this deep feeling of faith knowing they were saved and God was working in their hearts and working in their lives and and they couldn't get away from this. This was something that was so instilled within them that they were willing to leave Texas. Can you believe that? (laughs) You know, can you believe that? and come to Canada. But I've got more respect for Canada now than I had a few years ago. Boy, they've got some good cowboys in the professional bull riding now, and they're, they're coming on the top of the lot. You know, they're going first place, world champion, bull riders, and right on down the line. And I'm just kidding with you. I've always had a respect for Canada. I am just joking around. But I'm not joking around about the talent that you some of your uh, young men have for riding professional bull but nonetheless as we think about but that that's instilled within us and you got that you got that because somebody had it within them when they came 23 years ago they came 23 years ago they came why did they come they had a burden to do exactly what they've done for 23 years and you have been the recipients of that and i would dare say that most of you have that in you the children came and they sang and they sang that here am I am lord tell me what you want are you as pliable as they are as the children are and then the teenagers came and they did the same thing that legacy that is in them. And, 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 Beth, uh, and Metro Baptist Church has got to do that. It's got to make sure that it keeps its legacy so instilled in every member that comes that it keeps on keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Keeping on. And one day, if the Lord doesn't come, It'll have a hundred-year-old anniversary because they came and you came. They cared and you cared. They taught and you teach. They received... You receive and it keeps on going and it keeps on going and it keeps on going because we're fulfilling the great commission doing exactly what God told us to do. And we're instilling that in the heart, but but without discipleship, without teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you, it won't go. It will not go because it will come to a place just like the race now the race that they're talking about, I, I, I compare that to a to a 400 meter race or whatever you want to call it, or that they pass the baton. Because see, one day, just like it was with every one of these churches I've called about, one day, God told the preacher either He took him by death, or it was necessary because He needed to relocate him because He needed him someplace else, and He knew that the church needed somebody else to come in his place. And so the race was being run, and they were passing the baton. Just like this, our brother here, he came, and he was here for a while, but then he took the baton for the church that he's in. But they made sure that they didn't drop the baton. If they'd have dropped the baton, they'd have been disqualified. And see, if it hadn't been that these people had been taught the gospel right, and the preacher that was coming was of the same standard, had the same belief, the same standards, the same Bible, the same, 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 because they were instilled within him, just like they were instilled in the church and the one that came, so that would carry on. Otherwise, it would become chaotic. That's the reason it's important about the legacy, what you're teaching, what you're learning, what you're becoming, what God wants us to be. Now, the, the world in it is going to change. Brother Russell was talking about change. You've got to remember one thing. The only thing that doesn't th- change is things change. And you get that? The only thing that doesn't change is things change. They've been changing from the beginning of time. It didn't take Adam and Eve no time to get in trouble. And sin came. And sin's been a disaster ever since then. But the one thing that is making the difference is this legacy that we're trying to pass on from one person to the next when they come to know the Lord so that they will carry it on and it will be repeated and repeated so that the work of God will grow and go instead of allowing us to just quit doing anything. And when we think of those things, it's important for us to get the things done that need to be taken care of. Passing the baton, just like Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was his minister, just like Joshua was the minister of Moses. And the Lord and Elijah asked, Elijah asked, or no, Elijah asked, Elisha said, "What do you want? What do you want?" He said, "I want a double portion of your spirit." He said, "I want a double portion of your spirit." He said, "Well, that's going to be hard to do." But said, in order to get it, you'll have to follow me. And every time that Elijah would move from one place, he would tell Elisha to say, well, stay here. But he didn't. Elijah said, no, where you go, I'm going. What you do, I'm doing. And they kept on and they kept on and they kept on. And and, and finally, it was when the fiery chariot was coming down and all of a sudden, Elijah's mantle fell. And Elisha took it. He took it and as he seen Elijah go off in the, in the sky, charred a chariot of fire. And he took, that, he took that mantle and he walked back to the brook. And he took that mantle because he needed to walk across. And he hit that thing and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He wanted to be sure. The water split. Oh, there was the school of the prophets over on the other side. And they said, what happened? Where is Elijah? He's gone. Well, let's go look for him. Let's go. Elisha said, you don't need to go look for him. He's gone. No, no, we've got to go look for him. We've got to go look for him. Elisha said, no, there's not any need. All we've got to do is go to work. And Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. It's just passing on, but it's got to be in the heart when you decide, I want to carry this legacy for God. I don't want to drop the baton. If, y'all, if you ever fail here at Metro Baptist Church, if you ever fail to start backing off on what you're teaching and where you stand and what the Word of God says, it won't be long till you won't have the same legacy. And it will fall apart. David in 2 Samuel had been in war and fought war and he'd been the great warrior for Saul and everything else. And finally the Bible says that he had conquered all of his enemies. And so he sat down and he built a house for himself. It was a beautiful house according to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he was sitting there one day and he thought, you know, he said, I, I want to I build a house for God. I want to build a house for God. He said, it's not right that God's stuff should be sitting out in a tent. Now, this is where we come to inheritance instead of Legacy. Inheritance generally is something materially that we pass on to the next generation. And so David was looking at that, and I think it was Nathan, if my memory is correct. And Nathan was a priest at that time. And so David said to Nathan, said, I want to build God a house. I want to to build him a house. It's not right that the tabernacle and everything else should be sitting out there in a tent. And Nathan told him, he said, I think that's a great idea. You've done everything for God. Build him a house. But that night while David was asleep and Nathan was asleep, God knocked on Nathan's door. He said, David can't build me a house. And said, you go tell him he can't build me a house. And so he went and told David he said the lord won't let you build a house and the lord said you know David he said i have never never asked anyone to build me a house but he said when i when i get to the place that i want to set my people down your son will build me a house and with that you your son and his generation will be taken care of, and it'll go on. And he said, and that house will be forever. And your inheritance will be forever. And so David, since he couldn't build the house, the next best thing he could do is he started gathering the material. He started getting it every bit he could, his own money, that in the land and everything else, he began to gather and gather and gather. And he kept on until he finally got everything ready. And then when Solomon came along, he built a house. David said, the ark is in a tent in the yard. And so my second word is inheritance. You know, when he wanted to build a house for God, it was something that was deep within him. Why did he want to build God a house? So that all of the stuff that God had that was his would have sufficient room and he would be able to carry on all the ministry with all the priests and all the porters and all the singers and everything else that have a house, a physical house. What for? For the ministry of God. And every church has to have an assembly place. And we know that, and God wants us to understand that. You know, I told you all this morning about Mr. Clyde Almond. And, and it's a wonderful story, and it's all true. And there's more to it than which I told you. But you know, that wasn't the only thing. All Mr. Almond did for the church building, the main church building, we built, is he gave us a, the block of land. But there was, there was a group of people there at Grace and Bible Baptist Church that loved the Lord. And when I told them we needed to build a new building and relocate, and I said we need, we need to change things so that we don't want to build a building for a building. We want to build this building for ministry so that we can do the job so that we can have the things and the places to meet and, and take care of all the ministries that we want to do. You've got a lot of ministries going on, and sometimes they're crowded. And at this point in time, you're always having to change place from one way to one place to another in able to be able to complete all these ministries that you've got and things you need to do. But a, but a building just like the temple... When anybody drives by, they see this cross or whatever it is, a steeple, and it's a, silent, it's a silent witness that God's here. And when your name's on it, it's a silent witness that this is Metro Baptist Church. Metro Baptist Church. We were moving from over in the old part of town and everything else and it was a horrible location and, and, and we wouldn't have been so interested in moving just because of the neighborhood and everything. But the, our church had been flooding from day one. When the big rains came, the water would run from the, over the curbs in the street and come right down through our, our, our yard and go right down through our foyer and go out the other side on the parking lot on the other side. So every time, every time a storm came, it was going to be of any, any size, everybody had to run to the church uh, because they didn't build it right. See, when David built the temple, or Solomon, he built it right. So it would be what it needed to be. And so we needed, we needed one that was going to be a ministry building that we could minister to people anytime we wanted to and do every type of ministry that came to our hearts and our minds to pass on what That legacy see we not only had the, the church and the school and the, and a bible institute and and things of this nature we everything that we did you know we had we we had it there available that it was it was it was god's house that everybody knew it was god's house but it was busy about god's business all the time 24 hours a day if we wanted that. And David wanted to build that house and he did. We started that in Sherman, well, we knew. We knew we didn't have the money to pay for it. And we knew that at the bid that they gave us and the prices in one place and the other place is a long way. I can't tell about that clock. Okay, all right, now you got on to me about that clock. So. <laughs> And, and you know, I mean, we were not, when I got there, I told you this, the church was in terrible trouble. Now, you probably don't realize what that means, but let me just give you a few figures. And I know the money dollar value in Canada is different from the money dollar in, in Texas. Y'all talk a whole lot higher dollars than we do in Texas. We're bigger, but, you know, uh, the money's cheaper. <laughs> Things cost less, or they did, but we're getting a lot of people from California who's running all the prices up. But nonetheless, anyhow, and so, uh, so there we were, we knew that we was gonna have to do something special because we wasn't gonna have the money to do it. So we decided that we would get everything started and everything and we would have a stewardship campaign. And that was where that we would present to our people how that we could raise money from ourselves, not having garage sales and not having bake sales, and because I believe that God in planned and intended for his people to take care of his needs. And so we went through our stewardship program and as we got then we took the principle from the New Te- or from the Old Testament about the Joash chest, where that they set it by the door. And everybody would stick their money in it for the repairs of the building of the house of God. You remember that? So we took that and we went through our stewardship campaign and I don't have time to tell you all about that. But anyhow, it came to our day and I was asking them to make a pledge. That's different from faith promise. Now the pledge was simply this, that we were wanting them to pray about what they thought God would let them do over a three year period in giving toward the building. Now, we wanted their name not because of anything, but only be two people that would ever see the card me and the secretary that was taking the total. And the only reason, the only reason that we wanted the name was so we would understand if this was really legitimate. Was it really somebody that was a member of our church or if it was just somebody that put a number on a card and dropped it in the box? Are you with me? Okay. And so there we was when, we, when they came through that day and we had 97 families on that particular Sunday that dropped cards in that box. Now There were ties were going to have, I mean the box was going to take the money that was going to be above their ties above their offerings, and above their faith promised missions. And I always had, every year, always had two special offerings that we did something. One was on Easter Sunday, 30 pieces of silver. And the other one was at Christmas. Because why why should we not give Jesus a birthday present? I mean, after all, it's his birthday, it's not mine. Mine's on the 17th of December. And that just simply meant I didn't get as much for Christmas as everybody else did because I got a little bit on my birthday or I didn't get anything for my birthday because Christmas was coming one way or the other. So you have to, don't be born in December. You know, just don't let let them do that to you, okay? Well, I'm sorry, y'all are done late. You're done born, okay? And so when we got through and we had them do that and everything, and they understood nobody was going to call them. Nobody would know after we did this and got the tally of total. And out of 97 families, out of 97 families, a plain, little, simple country church in Texas promised $997,000 to go toward the building. Three years later, when the building was finished and we was ready to finish the loan and everything, they had given $1.2 million. And and you know the strange thing? That after after we had the first box of things going in, people would come to me afterwards and say, Preacher, I want to raise my my promise. And I said, you don't have to tell me. All you got to do is just give it. All we wanted to know is if we were going to be able to do anything to finish it because the estimated building was $3.7 million. But just like we had a miracle on the land, God worked another miracle. I built the building for $1,817,000. And then on February the 29th, which was leap year in 2004, and uh, we had our first service in the new building. And I preached the message on Jubilee Sunday. And all of their promises were relieved. No more. I said, if you, didn't, if you haven't gotten all that you had promised put in, that's okay. It's all over. It's all, you don't have to give another penny. Now, we all knew that when we got this done, that there would still be a payment. Because we, we wasn't going to have enough money to pay everything and all of it. So I had to borrow $817,000 and all those that had not been able to completely get all their money. And you know what they did when I told them they didn't have to give it anymore. They walked by me as they was walking out the door after the church and said, preacher, I told the Lord I'd do that. And I'm going to do it. I don't care whether you tell me I have to or not. I didn't tell you you had to to start with. I ask you what you wanted to do for God. Doing something great for God. And then we had an inheritance. And that inheritance required responsibility in the matter of stewardship. Because somebody had to take care of it. It had to have paint as time went on. It had to have repairs as time went on. It had to have this and that. And we knew because I put in a ton of air conditioning units, and we knew that one day they were going to need to be repaired. Well, it's nearly 20 years, and they're still running. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm just simply saying, yes, Mr. Almond was a great blessing, and he was a great part of the miracles of God. But he wasn't the only part. The the main part was those people. They wanted the house of God. Mr. Almond wasn't going to have to give us a piece of land. We tried to buy it. We wanted to buy it. But God didn't want us to buy it. He He wanted to do something for us because we had something in our heart that we wanted to do for him. We wanted to make sure that we put that legacy there in the heart of every one of our children and every young couple and every young man or woman or even the old men and old women, whatever it was that got saved or come to our church. We wanted to put that legacy within them that would cause them want to carry on. And they wanted, they wanted to build a house for God. They wanted him to have his own house so that all the ministries could be taken care of. And they knew that they would have to be good stewards. I told them over and over again for years and years. I was there 20 years. When I got there, they were in bad shape. I didn't go ahead and tell you that a while ago. We had a piece of property that was in foreclosure that the preacher bought to take the building in and relocated over there. It was $104,802 plus $45,000 of occurred interest. And then I got there the first month and I was looking and asked my secretary about our bills and I said, how much? And we found out we were $5,000 behind on our bills. I mean, we were in bad shape, but you know what? The people did exactly what they were supposed to and they gave like they were supposed to give. And then I, it became my responsibility to be a good steward over what they gave. And with those things working, God began to work and began to work and began to work and began to work. And And he worked and he worked and he worked and they gave and they loved. They didn't get rich. It was the same people. But in 2012, when I retired and left there, there was only $300,000 left on the debt. But we had watched the things that have come in and the way that people learned to give and the way that people gave. And I left in the church's bank account $500,000. You'd say, boy, you did a great job. No, I didn't. I didn't do it. Because I could only be a good steward over what my people gave. And you and I have to understand that We're the ones that have to be good stewards over the gospel. We have to be the good stewards over the legacy. That legacy's not going to go if we don't do what we're supposed to if we don't have these kids coming up and singing, if we don't have them carrying the mission signs and being excited about missionaries, if we don't have the teenagers coming and doing that, if we don't have the moms and dad getting excited about getting the meal made for the international supper and and sharing the things of God and, and everything that's happened in their lives, if we don't have that, we're not going anywhere. That's the reason he wants us to understand that We've got to do it. But you have to remember that the legacy's not yours. It's God's. He just wants you to pass it on. The building's not yours. We're building it for God. And when it's time for us to go, there needs to be somebody that will be coming behind us that'll carry on what we've been doing. I've been saved now for 50-some-odd uh, years since 1967. The tragedy that I see is that we're losing the legacy. It's not near what it was when I got saved 50-some-odd years ago. There's many a churches that you can't tell what they believe. You can't tell what they are. And and they'll put something out on the sign out there and they won't tell you what it is because they really don't know what they are when you get inside. But Metro Baptist Church tells you immediately that they're a Baptist church. Why? Because that means the doctrines that we hold. That doesn't give us something here that makes us something. That's just a clear statement of When you walk into our doors, you can count on one thing. We're going to be preaching the Bible. We're going to be preaching the truth. We're going to talk to you, but there's only one way to heaven. It's not through any works. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to tell you that you have a responsibility to love God, to serve God, to give like you're supposed to give, to witness like you're supposed to witness, and to be what you're supposed to be. Why? Because that is God's message to us. And if we do anything less, if we do anything less, we're not caring and passing on the legacy. We're just taking, if you would, and change our Bible from a real Bible to a, what do they used to call that thing that they had that was short things of everything? Uh, huh? Well, no, not a paraphrase, but that's the same thing. It's a paraphrase. But, you know, it's uh, they used to write stories and then they'd do something with a little book about it every year. Uh, huh? Well, it don't make any difference. It wasn't the whole story. (laughs) That's the same thing today. And that's the way it is with all the rest of it. They don't give you the whole story. And it's important. Well, I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say because legacy and the running the race is very vital. Now, if we had time tonight to go over to Corinthians and read that, it would tell us, you know, if you don't run the race right, you don't get the reward. Now, Metro Baptist Church or any other church or you as a person or as an individual, if you don't don't live your life right, you're not going to get all the reward that you should be. Now, you know this, that when you got saved, your sins were forgiven past, present, and future. And when when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, God will not talk to you about any sins that you've done since you got saved because they're all under the blood And as I said the other night, the one thing about that, we know that he told us that our sins were as far as the east is from the west. And as far east as you go, you just keep on finding there's some west. It just keeps on going. He didn't say north to south because there's a north pole and there's a south pole. But you just keep on going around and you'll never find your sins because they're gone. And he tells us in the depths of God's forgetfulness. But there's one thing that we have to, we'll have to give an account for, and that's our deeds. Those things that he's commanded that we do. You remember last night we read in the text that when we've done all our duty, all our duty, we have nothing to brag about. That was, we read that in Matthew, I think it was, or Luke. That's all we've done. All, uh, when we've done everything, we've just done our duty. And we are to do at least our duty. But it'd be better, as I said last night, if we'd go the second mile. The second mile. So I might do something special, special for God. Because he's done something special for me. My sins are forgiven. They're under the blood. And every day, every day, it's a miracle. I tell people often when they ask me in the morning or whatever the case is, how you doing? I tell them I'm doing great. I woke up above ground. I'm glad that every morning when I wake that I look out and God's given me another day. Another day to love my wife. Another day for me to be able to have some kind of communication with my children even though many of them are far away. I have the same opportunity to possibly tell somebody else about Jesus. I have the great possibility of some young preacher will call me And say, Brother Johnson, I need a little advice. I'm old. And they think I've got some wisdom. But I've just got a lot of years of the book. Because it's all I've got is what's in the book. And you've got the same thing. Every day, you're blessed. I'm glad that he put all the laws in the operation. I'm glad that every morning the sun comes up. And I'm glad that every evening the sun goes down. Miss Johnson, she likes to go to the breakfast brook nook there in the, in the back of the house and, and open the, the blinds and look out. And I've got a pond out there. And she loves to look to see if any ducks are swimming this morning. And she watched the ducks. She looks out across there and she watched the sun come up every morning. Many mornings she'll take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. You say, well, what, are you, what are you talking? The joy of life that God has given us. The beauty that he's given us. You, you think if you would, now just think about this for a minute. I could go on and on and on and on, but you think about this for a minute in a cursed world that we live in, how beautiful it is. In a cursed world, can you imagine what it looked like before sin had its effect on it, before the flood came and everything began to move here and move there and move this way and and even as beautiful as all that wickedness is, just think what it will be when we come back for the millennial reign of Christ. I told Brother Russell and them today, when we come back, I'm asking the Lord when he's going to give me an opportunity to rule and reign with him, I'm going to ask him to make me the ruler over all the city officials that has anything to do with building churches because I'm going to give them a pain in the neck. (laughs) You say, you don't mean that. Well, I I probably won't because I will be in a new creature then and I'll probably be kind, but right now I would be glad to have that office. Some of y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But nonetheless, might I encourage you today that one thing that you need to do is you begin to think about a house for God because it will be a house for your ministries so that you can do all that God wants you to do. You're doing a great job. I'm not saying that, but it will make all the difference in the world and you'll see what God will do and how much more you can do and be blessed. Well, let's bow our heads if you would. And our Father, we come before you now, and we pray that I have tried to explain simply the importance of the legacy, legacy that we need to pass on, that that we can instill in the heart of each and every one through the discipleship and the preaching of the word of God in the house of God. And then, Father, that we would then be able to, with with an inheritance, to leave it from one generation to the next generation. Our brother told us that he is dealing with a church now that is in a bad state and they know that if things continue to go like it is, there won't be enough to take care of their building. But if that be the case, then hopefully and prayerfully, he will be able to take that building and 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 give it a new legacy and, a, and become a new inheritance and a new group of believers. And, and it will not come to a place in a time that they'll have to be fearful and afraid that they'll not be able to keep it but that legacy will continue to reach out and get see people saved and build the, the family of God in that location, in that local New Testament church so that it will continue on and they'll keep on reaching people for Christ and they'll keep on growing and they'll keep on being and, and it will not come to a time that it will have to even consider ending. So, Father, we just pray that we'll have that legacy and we'll take that. And have that inheritance. And then we'll be good stewards over the mysteries of the things of God and the preaching of the word and training our children and loving our brothers and loving our enemies and doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. I pray, Father, you'll bless now, have your way in touching each heart and life now. And we'll praise you for that, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.